0: In your Bible today, the book of Genesis, chapter number three. We're still there. Genesis chapter three, and as soon as you find it, why, stand to your feet and we'll read God's word together this morning. Genesis chapter three, I'm going to read verse six, and then we'll skip down to verse 13 through 19. <clears throat> Genesis three and six. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And then in verse number 13, the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, deceived me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. And in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over you. And unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. And sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return into the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and into dust thou shalt return. And you may be seated. Verse number 6 in your Bible is if you wanted to put in just a one very small passage of Scripture, that is an account of the fall, the fall, the time when man and woman chose to disobey Almighty God. So you might want to write there in the margin, the fall, so that you can find it in the future Next to the resurrection of Christ and His death on the cross, His virgin birth, why the fall would have to come in among the most important events that have ever occurred in human history. I've spent a lot of time on it. I think this is the third or the fourth message I've preached on the fall. And certainly it deserves that much time and attention And we won't exhaust all that's here, even after four messages on the subject. And why spend so much time on this passage? Because, hear me, if you don't hear anything else today, the fall affects everything. Everything in your life, things you never have thought about, the implications of the fall are like ripples that go out from the rock in the pond. They touch every single part of it. It's been said by a number of people that Christianity is the only worldview that explains everything. Um, I'll tell you, that's a quotable quote. You ask me, why am I a Christian? Because Christianity is the one worldview that explains everything. If you're an atheist, atheism can't explain everything. If you today are a Hindu or a Buddhist, your religion does not even attempt to explain everything. Christianity is the only religion that even claims to explain everything in the world and in the universe. And so today, I thank God that I was given the gospel of Christ. As a little boy, I didn't understand the significance of what I was learning and what had come to me through my parents. What a wonderful heritage that that I had. But today, I understand how important it is. And today, I'm a Christian, and I have looked at other views in my youth, but I tell you, Christianity is the only worldview that explains it all. And the fall is a part of that explanation. And so, our Scripture today has revealed to us why things are as they are. I compare the fall to a great earthquake. I mean, to a 10-pointer on the Richter scale or whatever, (laughs) as far as you can go. It's the biggest earthquake spiritually, morally of all. And so let's think of the fall, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, as the most powerful earthquake that ever occurred in history. Now, you know, when earthquakes come, the main event is always followed by aftershocks. And the aftershocks typically last for a few days or maybe a week or two, or maybe a month, and a few of them go as long as a year. But the aftershocks of the fall have continued now for 6,000 years. And you and I are living in the aftershocks of this monumental event that we call the fall. After the fall, after Adam and Eve had partaken of that fruit, then God pronounced a curse upon several different elements here of our our universe. In verse number 14, he pronounced a curse upon the serpent. Cursed are you. You're going to crawl on your belly. You're going to eat dust for the rest of your existence. And there's going to be a great hostility between you and man, between the seed of the woman and between you. And then in verse 16, he speaks to the woman and he said, the greatest achievement you have is to be able to bear children. But from now on, you're going to bear those children in great, great pain. You are going to experience birth pangs that are, that are tremendously painful. And every time you have a child, you're going to be reminded of this event, the fall. And he also said, you're going to chaff against your husband's leadership as well. In verse 17, he said to the man, Interesting, he didn't curse the man directly, he cursed the ground. Cursed is the ground. And then he said, I've cursed the ground, the earth, the soil. I've cursed it, and from now on, it will reluctantly yield to you. And you will work and you will sweat with toil. It will be a discouraging and very, very difficult proposition for you because the earth is going to yield reluctantly everything that you take from it. Yes, it's going to provide for you. You will will have provision for all your needs, but the earth, well, you will toil and you will sweat. Nature from now on, you were supposed to be in dominion over the world. I gave you dominion, but you threw it away when you took that fruit. When you disobeyed me, you threw away your opportunity to come directly to me. You threw away your opportunity. And so now the ground is going to be cursed. You're no longer in dominion over even the soil that you're going to toil. And in verse 19, the worst of all, the one thing that we know is universally true, and the last phrase, For dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. In other words, everybody and everything on this planet is going to experience death. Francis Schaeffer, who probably has affected my philosophy of preaching and theology as much as anybody, said there's a word that describes in one word the fall and all of its implications and that word is separation. Separation. Now, when I hold a funeral, I almost never forget to remind the people that in the original Hebrew and Greek languages of the Bible, that the word death is the same word separation. In other words, death is the soul and the body being separated from or the soul being separated from the body. And Schaefer said, this one word, separation, describes the effects of the fall better than anything else. Now, I'm going to give you five points real quickly or as quickly as I, real quickly to me. You know, that's, everybody has their own standard of quickly, don't they? But real quickly to me, I'm going to give you five points this morning. And the five points are going to tell you five separations that occurred because of the fall. And these are really important. I hope you might jot them down somewhere. Number 1, man man's sin separated him from God. Man's sin separated him from God. That's the first separation. And that means that man now has a spiritual problem, a spiritual problem. I have one and you have one. You see, God created man to have constant communion with Him, and He walked in the garden before the fall with Adam and Eve every day. There was this close, close relationship, ongoing communion, we would call it, or fellowship. Now that man can no longer have communion with God because his sins have separated him from God, God's purpose for man was as we sung a few moments ago, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. You see, God wants to love you, and listen to me, He want and we want to be loved of God, don't we? We want to love and be loved. And that was the norm. That was what was going to happen until the fall occurred. And when it occurred, man is separated from God. And the separation has made us alienated, alienated from God. And because of sin, we lack peace in our hearts. We tell people if you'll accept Christ, if you'll be born again, if you'll come to the Lord and find his forgiveness for your sins, you will have peace in your heart. The Bible calls it the peace of God a deep, settled contentment that you cannot have until you have that relationship with God renewed. And so, when Adam sinned, he was separated from God, alienated, a lack of peace, a sense of futility in his life. You know, so often you meet people and they're tremendously successful In in every area of their life except they're not saved. They don't know the Lord Jesus. And you know what? So many of them, they find life to be so meaningless. It's so futile. They work. They try to achieve. They reach those goals that they always aspired to. And now what? It, It doesn't mean to them what they thought it would mean. They work hard to climb the ladder of success and they get to the top and as somebody said, they find the ladders leaning against the wrong wall. They find out that they thought they would be happy and have peace, but they don't have it because there is that God shaped vacuum in their heart. There's that missing part of their life. They're alienated from God. God created us to be, He wanted to be our reference point, He wanted to be the center of our world. He didn't want the center of your world to be making money or a career or pleasure or a hobby or even your wife or your family. He wanted to be the reference point, the very center of my life. And you see, man apart from God cannot fulfill his purpose. He can't love God with all his heart, soul, and mind. And God also said to him the day that you eat it, you will die. Now, you say, well, Adam didn't die the day he ate the fruit. Eve didn't die. Yes, they did. They died spiritually. They died immediately in their spirit. They were separated, alienated from God. That's spiritual death. Now, they began to die physically, and it took them a long time in those days, but their bodies began to deteriorate as well. But spiritual death was immediate. God's Spirit moved out of them where he had lived prior to that. And now there's this spiritual emptiness. What Kierkegaard talked about is is the existential loneliness. That's a big intellectual term, but some of you have been there. A loneliness that you can't explain. Your whole existence is, is one of loneliness and alienation. Because man's sin separated him from God. But that's only the first one. Point two. Am I going quickly enough? Okay. Point two is man's sin separated man from himself. Man's sin separated him from himself. So we have a psychological problem. We not only have the fall not only created a spiritual problem, it created a psychological problem. And so we're full of psychoses And hang-ups, phobias, fears, confusion. Because, man, you hear people talk about a split personality. That's a true term. We really are. We're not at peace within our own selves. The fall affected our thinking process, our mental framework, our perception. And the worst thing sin has done, and I think I can prove it fairly conclusively to you in a moment, The worst thing sin has done that we don't think about is we've lost our ability to know the truth. Unregenerated, unredeemed, unsaved man cannot know truth. He can't find it on his own. I remember somebody saying something like this, that unsaved man looking for God is like a blind man in a dark room, no lights in the room, and he's trying to find whatever it is he's looking for, and he can't do it. And so in the same way, you and I, we can't, we can't fulfill our purpose and we can't even know the truth. Romans 1 says, we've changed the truth of God into a lie. You remember that verse from Romans 1? Man changed the truth of God into a lie. Now, if you think that I'm uh, overselling my case and my point here, listen to me. Man's sin separated him from himself. And so he doesn't think right today. And I'll give you the evidence. We have an exploding movement in the country called the gender identity movement. It started a few years ago, 10, 12 years ago, in which people reasoned like this, that your sex is not determined, your gender is not determined by your body, by your sexual organs, by your male and femaleness, that your gender is determined in your mind. You decide what you are. So if you identify as a woman or you identify as a man, or you by the way, I Googled this, and you know what Google said? I said, how many genders are there today? And one figure said 72 seventy two now try that yeah you don't you don't have, need to Google it right now, just take my word for a minute, but everybody went right straight to their phone there. I could tell now another one said fifty two so see, we don't even know truth when we think we know truth, and the gender movement is to me the ultimate evidence that unredeemed, unregenerated man is so morally blinded. He cannot know truth. He cannot know it. So the senator, the senatorial hearing for a Supreme Court justice of all things, a person who is going to rule on literally every aspect of our lives, if that person is confirmed. And the senator says, what? What is a woman? Can you tell me what a woman is, Mrs. So-and-so? No, I can't tell you that. You don't know what a woman is? You're going to sit on our court. If you don't know what a woman is, we're in trouble. <laughs> You're going to make rulings on all kinds. No, I can't tell you what it is. And she never answered the question. You know why she wouldn't answer the question? She would have offended about 45% of this country if she would have answered that question. The American Medical Association just recently recommended that we stop using male and female on birth certificates. Wait a minute. AMA? Aren't those doctors? Aren't they supposed to be scientists? What scientific basis do you have for saying that people are anything more than male or female? You know what's wrong? How do you explain that? the fall, when they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and they just rule God out of everything. And now after years and years of that, that's where we are. There's a third separation. Man's sin separated him from other people. And so the fall caused a social problem. We have a spiritual problem, separation from God. We have a psychological problem, Separation from ourselves internally. We have a social problem, man separated from other people. What was the first act? The very first thing that happened after the fall, Adam blamed who? His wife. So now we have a little domestic problem already, huh? The first domestic call happened right here. And Adam says, well, the woman made me do it. And what did the woman do? She blamed the devil. The devil made me do it. And ever since then, we've been blaming somebody else when there's a problem, haven't we? We blame shifted. And then we flip the page and we go to chapter four. And what do we find in chapter four? In chapter four, brother kills brother. You see, sin has brought a separation between husbands and wives, Adam and Eve. A separation between brothers as a brother kills his brother. And the whole history of mankind, read it for yourself, is a history of division and splits and schisms and divorces and wars and violence. Division. And the nation now, after this horrible thing in Texas, is saying, somebody needs to bring us together Well, if we're going to to come together, there's got to be a basis to come together on. And we're so divided, we can't even agree on what the basis of unity would be. Man's sin separated him from other people. We get over a few more chapters here, and we'll come to the Tower of Babel, or Babel, however you want to pronounce it. And... The story is basically of one man says, I'm going to unify the world. I'm going to create a global government. And he tries, but he fails. And God looks down and says, I'm not going to have it. And God divided the languages, and you know the story. And down through the course of history, over and over, we've tried to get together, but we don't have a common basis for getting together. We're not going to get together until... That satanically inspired one who will come brings the world together. And we might be seeing that right now. I don't know. I can't say with certainty. But I know they met over in Davos, and all they talk about is global government. And I know that one of the biggest proponents of it is the government of the United States. And I know that we're talking about the great reset that COVID gave us, an opportunity, a window of opportunity that we cannot miss to solve the world's problems and bring us together under one great umbrella. Man's sin separated him from other people. Oh, we have a social problem, a spiritual problem, a psychological problem, a social problem. Number four, man's sin sin separated him from nature. And so we have an environmental problem. You see, before the fall, Adam had dominion. I believe Adam could command, maybe even communicate with the animals in a way that we don't have any idea about today. Nature was submissive to him. He put his hoe in the ground, and he put the seed there, and it came forth plentifully. And, and, and he didn't worry about the fertilizer and he didn't worry about the aphids and the bugs eating it up. It was going to grow. Nature was friendly. And then sin came, So when your sweetheart sends you the roses, there's thorns on the roses, and they weren't there before, the Bible teaches. And in significant ways after the fall, nature became a constant reminder, in fact, of God's curse. And so the woman goes to give birth to the little baby, and she's reminded that this is a fallen and broken world. And the earthquake shakes the ground. And we're reminded that nature is not always friendly. And there are hurricanes and there are floods and there are droughts and there's wild animals and it goes on and on and on because nature has turned against man. Man no longer has the dominion because sin came. And you can go back to Genesis 3, 6, 13 through 19 and you can make a point of every one of the things I'm saying to you right now. There's a verse that I found in Romans 8 reminded me, and so I injected it into the message today. Turn to Romans chapter 8, and I want you to show you a, just an awesome verse of Scripture. And in verse 20, let's back up to verse 19. The earnest expectation of the creature. Now, for the word creature, you and I would say probably creation. For the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the Son of God in the future. That will happen at the second coming. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature, the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 21, notice it again. The creation, the whole universe will be delivered from the bondage. It will be. Right now, it's in bondage. Right now, the whole creation has been affected by sin. And I can't give you the details of all of this, but the whole creation is in bondage. And someday it will experience glorious liberty. And then verse 22 is the one I really want to get to. We know that the whole Creation, the whole universe, groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The physical universe is under some sort of stress, some sort of burden, some sort of bondage, the Bible uses the term. And it's waiting for the day when it will be delivered, and that will occur in the millennium when the Lord Jesus Christ removes the the curse. Sin separated man from God. We have a spiritual problem. Sin separated man from himself. We have a psychological issue here. Sin separated man from other people. We have a social problem. Sin separated man from nature. And we have an environmental problem. And there's one more. And this one is sad indeed. Sin separated God from God. You say, what are you talking about? Do you remember our Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross? All the weight of my sin, your sin, the sins of the world are upon him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He hung there with his stripes. We are healed. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you remember that? And writhing in the pain both physically and spiritually, he looked up to heaven and he said, Oh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God forsook God. Sin separated the Trinity itself for a brief moment in time. God could not look upon the sins of the world being born on the shoulders of his Son. Five separations, five tremendously important things that occurred when Adam and Eve sinned, the fall and the subsequent cur- curse. Now, some better news, point two, what man did not lose in the fall. We didn't lose everything. We lost a lot, but we didn't lose it all, praise God, in the fall. God's grace still had his hand had its hand upon us. And what did we not lose? Well, we didn't lose the image of God. Man still bears the image of God. Now, it's difficult to see. And you can't see it at all in some people. I can promise you that. I don't know how you could see the image of God in, in Putin over there in Russia with such a bloodthirsty monster as he has revealed himself to be. So man bears the image of God. It's very difficult to see in some people. They are so broken. And in all of us, that image is twisted. It's broken to some extent, to a large extent. The image of God in me is distorted. If you look at me looking for God, then you're going to see a very distorted and twisted picture of God. There's some vestiges of it, some little tiny pieces of it, but I'm going to disappoint you, and you're going to disappoint me if we're looking to each other for, for what God is like. Just, just a little bit of the image of God survives in us. We didn't lose the image of God. We didn't lose our, what, what one great theologian called our mannishness, our mannishness, the things that make us man, mankind, our humanness. And even though people are fallen, and many of them are so, so very perverted, many other people still have a a, a lot. They're capable of humanitarian acts. Fallen people are capable of being kind, and you see that often. You see self-sacrifice. You see heroic deeds by first responders and military people and average people. You see people who sacrifice themselves for the good of others. And we still have our conscience, unless your conscience has been so seared by evil that it no longer even functions, but that's not true of most people. We still have a conscience. We still have imagination. We can see something there, visualize it and create it, to some degree. We still have self-awareness. We know that we are, and we know the world around us. We still can communicate at a very high level. We can reason together. The Bible says, come and let us reason together. So we're fallen, but here's the thing I want you to understand about fallen people. And by the way, we're fallen. It's not just the unsaved people that are fallen. We're fallen. I'm fallen. But you see, I'm fallen, but I'm not worthless. Sometimes I've heard preachers preach on this, and they almost made it like man is nothing. No, no. Listen, we are still the highest peak of God's creation, even in our fallen state. We are still God's most significant creation. And so the unsaved artist can still paint a beautiful picture And the musician who is unsaved can produce beautiful music. The unsaved doctor can bring healing. The unsaved farmer can still grow food to feed the world. Even though we're fallen, we're not worthless. In fact, we're the most significant things in God's creation. Now today, let me point this out, particularly you young people. You know what you're being taught with the extreme uh, environmentalism of our day? You're being taught that man man has invaded the earth and that we're the destroyers of of the universe. And that the universe is more valuable than we are. And so we will shut down great enterprises because of a mouse or a bug or a fish, a tiny little minnow or something, because we now value the creation more than we do God's image in man. But you see, we may be fallen, and we may have this propensity to do wrong, but in spite of that, we're not worthless. And we're significant. We're so significant that God so loved the world of people that he gave his only begotten son as we sung about a few moments ago. And we still have immortality. My soul is going to live on and on and on and on and on. And there was a time when I was not, but there will never be a time when I will not be. And my soul is endless, dateless, timeless, eternal. I am immortal in my soul, but not my body. And I live every day. And at my age, I'm more aware of it than I was 20 years ago. I live every day knowing that my future, unless Christ comes, is dust to dust. I live every day with that. As part of that existential alienation and loneliness that the philosophers talk about. I live every day of my life. This could be the day. And I will go back to the dust, my body. But praise God, he gave me an immortal soul. And the soul never dies. Now, let me make a couple of applications. Hey, I've done pretty well with all this kind of material, haven't I? And I've gotten it. It's only 1130 here. And so I've got about 30 more minutes here there will be. Now, what I've told you today, if you believe this and you'll, you'll apply it, we have an answer to one of those ultimate questions I've been talking about through this whole series. What is it? The ultimate question, why is there so much evil and so much suffering in the world? Now, you know. And it's not just saying the fall. You understand the implications of the fall, which is so important. And it's why I've camped out here in Genesis chapter 3 for a while. I want you to understand that I don't know that I can preach a more important uh, message than this. Now we have an answer to the question why is there so much evil? Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much inhumanity to each other? Why, is the, why the wars? Here's another way to say it. The perfect world that God created ceased to exist at the moment of the fall. The perfect world that God created ceased to exist at the moment of man's rebellion against God. And listen to me, God's normal ended. God's normal ended that day. And the implication of that is this, the only time that world was ever normal was before the fall. And people say, when are we going to return to normal? When Christ comes. And normal for the world today is abnormal, and they don't understand that. They don't understand that normal, according to God's definition, is Genesis 1, 2, 3, 1 through 5, and normal ended. And you and I have never lived a normal day in our life. We've lived in the abnormal. Now stop and think about that. Man, for the most part, is controlled by his selfishness and his greed and his rebellion against God. And I think it's getting worse. But you can go back through history and you can say, well, God didn't create it to be like this. This is not normal. God created it perfect. Perfect. And it changed one day, the earthquake, and now we're living in the aftershocks. We all were heartbroken a few days ago when 19 little boys and girls, two teachers were murdered in Uvalde, Texas. And people kept saying, we got to get back to normal. Mm Mm-mm. We're not going to be able to do that on our own. What they were seeing was an aftershock of the fall in Uvalde. Another one of those aftershocks. Man, no peace in his heart. Man living in futility. Man living in anger and rebellion against God. Man hating his neighbor. Have you ever thought about why there were no mass shootings in America until 1999? 1999. There wasn't a mass shooting in America. There was a bombing in Bath, Michigan in 1927 or something where a a deranged man bombed a school after losing uh, an election for the uh, school board. And he killed a bunch of people. But there's never been mass shootings before. And then Columbine, 1999, and and it started. And then we've had one every, every year, two or three a year, four or five a year now. You ever wonder why it's picking up? It's becoming less, more frequent, less time in between them, it seems like, and they get worse and worse. I believe the answer to that question is that prior to 1999, there still were vestiges. There was a little bit of respect for God and for the Ten Commandments, and for humanity in our culture. And in the 23 years since that, more and more we see that eroding, and we see people that don't care about anything. And the consequence is people have lost hope. There's no fear of God before their eyes. The moral restraints that the Judeo-Christian culture put into our country, those moral restraints, for the most part, are gone. I don't want to be negative, but I have to, be, I have to deal with reality as a preacher. The moral restraints have been torn away. And we're living in Romans 1. God gave them up to a reprobate mind. Now, if I quit here, that would be pretty negative, pretty dark, wouldn't it? But I'm not going to quit quite yet because, listen to me, through the gospel, and this is why we emphasize the gospel, why we emphasize the Word of God at this church. Through the gospel, all of those five separations are going to be healed one day. Man will no longer be alienated from God. Man will no longer be alienated from himself. Man will no longer be alienated from man. Man will no longer be alienated from the environment. And man will bow at the foot of the Creator and acknowledge Him to be King of kings and Lord of lords of all. God has a plan. He's not going to leave this world hanging in its rebellion as it is right now. The plan is that all those separations will be perfectly healed one day. And so as a Christian, I'm saddened by what happens in the world around me today. And I looked at those, television, those pictures on the television screen, and oh, it broke my heart. But do you know what? I'm not without hope. And I don't even wait. Now listen to this part. I don't even have to wait until Jesus comes because through the miracle of conversion and the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, through the miracle of conversion and the power of the Holy Spirit, they can be substantially healed in us today not completely healed, but substantially healed. We don't ha- As Christians, we can't hate other people. As Christians, we don't have to be torn apart inside. We can have peace with God. As Christians, we might not be able to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind 24-7, but we can do it most of the time. We can be substantially healed through the power of the gospel with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.